Welcome to another episode of Life on the Road. I am Scott Bolwidge. This is Alfonso Key, and we are the navigators to the coaching journey from the professional coach, the college coach, to the high school coach. And today's guest is no different. Coach Key, tell us a little bit about Coach Larry Blunt. Well, Coach Blunt is currently at Orangeville Prep in Canada, um, but has a unique journey to get him there. Started a Division One football player, then through his journey, had stops in high school, Division Three, um, Division Two, high major, Power Five, Division One, and now he's a second stint as a head coach. So I think you'll extremely, extremely enjoy his story, um, how he got there. Our special guest today on Life on the Road. Let's welcome Coach Larry Blunt to Life on the Road. Coach, how you doing, man? Great. I'm great. Fonzo and Scott, man, coaches, um, appreciate you all taking time to have me on and excited to jump on and and share some ideas, some good stories, and, um, you know, and have a good time this evening. Man, and I'll tell you what, it it takes a special coach for, for me to put the hat back on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, got to make them feel comfortable. Yes. Appreciate that, the man. These, these years of coaching, you start losing your hair, you got to make sure you have a good cover. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we're going to hop right into it. We're going to get the ball rolling here. And first question is always, what made you want to get into coaching? And then where was your first coaching job? First question, um, what made me want to get into coaching? Um, my father was a coach. Um, okay. My mother was a principal, um, and now she's a superintendent. And education was always a major part of my life. Um, and I would say the combination of both that and basketball, football, in my case, um, it was always something I was really passionate about. Um, I started, I went, went to James Madison, and I actually studied political science and public administration. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I ended up working in the mayor's office. Uh, after three years of wearing a suit every day, I realized that this was much more my fitted, my hats and my <laughs> athletic gear. I felt like that right. was much more who I was. But, you know, all in all, just being around people and, and the way the games, um, whether it's basketball, football, in my case, um, the way that I've seen that change lives, including mine, was something I was always really passionate about. Um, And to answer the second question, my first job, I coached at a high school, Harrisonburg High School in Virginia, uh, not too long after I graduated from James Madison. Okay. And you were an assistant coach there? I was. um, I mean, I'll never forget, I I was playing football at James Madison. um, And when the season ended, there was nothing to do. And I'll never forget that, you know, growing up in a small town, you play football, then you play basketball, then you play baseball. Yep. And then on the tennis team, if they need an extra person just to <laughs> fill a spot, you jump on that team. And mm-hmm. cross, cross country. That, cross country, badminton, whatever. You just do it. And I'll never forget football ended, and it was just a void. It was just time. There was nothing. Um, and I'll never forget Kevin Tysinger was the coach. And I came over. At that point, I was in good shape. I had a head of hair at that point. <laughs> Um, and I'll never forget, I could jump and I was pretty athletic and I went and played and I just was like, I want to coach basketball. And he'd say, you know, we don't have a spot. So the very next day I came again and he told me, man, we don't have a spot. And I came back the third day. Um, <laughs> I thought they were going to call the police on me, but he, <laughs> he realized either I was a good dude or I was pretty passionate about it. And he let me, he kind of gave me my start. So I'm thankful for that. 
Okay. Well, I tell you, that's similar to coaches we've had previous, just at will, um, sometime um, delusional, focused to get where you're trying to go. No, it's not an option. Um, that switch from football to basketball um, on your first job. Um, give me some of your roles um, just at the high school. What, what were your responsibilities on that staff? I mean, I didn't know a ton relative to you know the tactical part of basketball. Um, you know, I did a lot, whether it was picking kids up and dropping them off, yeah. uh, cleaning the backboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my most therapeutic things, even to this day, that most people, even as a head coach, uh, I really enjoy sweeping the floor. Uh, just the mopping it uh, is one of the few things in this profession that you get a sense of completion um, with or at, a, at a really in a short period of time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you put your AirPods in, you kind of listen to whatever you're going to listen to in 15 or 20 minutes, depending upon how much pride you're taking in it that day. No question. It's just a lot of fun. So it was all the anything that the head coach did not want to do, uh, mm-hmm. I was willing to do, and I really enjoyed it. That's a great description. Uh, anything that the head man did not want to do fell on us shoulder. I've been there before myself. And that, I'm sure that made him feel good to – you know, you you come in and you uh, you kind of harass them about working there, and now you're going above and beyond doing all the little things, and that I'm sure put him at ease as to you know what I got the right guy like I I, I took that chance and it's going to work out. Absolutely, I, I mean you know I look back at it and over the years just as you get experience. Um, a few weeks back or a couple months back, I went, I was invited to a camp with a lot of division one assistants at that point uh, when I was still at Oklahoma state. And one of the speakers, I thought it was a very profound, but simplistic way of just putting it. He said that really good assistant coaches, he used the analogy of waves breaking. And he said, you know, essentially the best assistant coaches as a head coach, he kind of used the analogy of sitting on the beach in the sand Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about waves while you're sitting on the beach, the waves come, and especially at high tide, they smack you. Mm-hmm. And then if you sit on that beach, the water comes back out, then another one comes. Mm-hmm. And he said that good assistants were guys that could knock those waves down so that those waves wouldn't hit the head coach. Wow. And could absorb a lot of those things. And, you know, as I look back on my path, I think I'm, I'm thankful. That was one of the things as an assistant I was willing to do anything that would make his job easier and knock those waves down to prevent them from getting to him, I was willing to do and absorb for him. Well, that foundation is solid brick by brick and uh, whatever you went direction from there, you were solid uh, um, at your ground place. So this kind of take me the next uh, few jobs and to where you're at currently, this kind of give me a synopsis of, of the steps and we'll stop you in between. Certainly. Well, I left that first year and I was a JV team at that point with Kevin Tysinger. And at that point, I was working with Robert Bricky, who Coach Key, I know you have a friendship. I think Coach Bolich, you do as well and know him. Yep. And when I was at JMU playing football, I was kind of the 10th guy. If they needed a basketball player uh, in the summer months if it was nine and they needed a football player that wouldn't shoot all the balls or wouldn't start a fight every other possession. I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of quickly transitioned to when they played four on four with the old man. Uh, I would say that now to Coach Bricky, but I wouldn't say it at that point. Um, I ended up being the eighth guy and we developed a friendship. And as I was coaching that team in JV, I kind of realized this was something I could see myself doing long term. 
And I basically volunteered for him. If it was writing handwritten notes to recruits, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just thankful they didn't know his handwriting because the majority <laughs> of those letters came from me. Um, and anything, I mean, I was it was a really cool opportunity. I'm thankful that he gave me. Um, but to make the long story shorter, as the season was ending at Harrisonburg High School, I got a call from, um, you know, Bricky and he said, you know, LB, I don't know if you're interested, but there's an opportunity at Eastern Mennonite. They're looking for a volunteer assistant. And at this point, I'm working in the mayor's office. I'm, you know, I'm in love. I'm enjoying this high school job. I'm like, man, I could do this the rest of my life. I get to wow. play with the guys and hang out. Wow. With right. So, you know, I'm excited. We go back and forth. And the coach uh, at that point, Kevin Tysinger calls and he says, you know, Larry, you come highly represented. Um, you come highly recommended. I'm sorry. Uh, we'd love to have you. And you're hired on the spot. And he said, you know, wow. if you want the job, you need to show up at four o'clock. We'll have our first team meeting. And in comes this young lady. You know, it was a pretty young lady. And she walks in. I'm like, OK, cool. That's a pretty manager. And I'm yeah. 22 at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> In comes another young lady, and I'm like, okay, cool. They have two young ladies as managers. They're here five or six minutes early. Yeah. And 15 young ladies later, I found <laughs> out that I was hired to be an assistant for the Eastern Mennonite uh, women's team. And um, that was a really cool experience. My first college coaching job as full-time. As I wasn't paid, but I worked like a full-time assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all the same. It's a synonym. Great experience. Absolutely. So <laughs> that was my second job and I didn't know, but it was, um, you know, it was a really, really great opportunity. So what what was that conversation like with, with uh, Robert Bricky after? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> if, you know, out. if you know Coach Bricky uh, and his matter of fact, loving way, he kind of gave me, man. You say you wanted to coach college basketball. That sounds like, it. <laughs> hey, hey, he was uh, he he's been on the show as well, and uh, we gave him the question, and his answers were outrageous. Hey, you you told me the criteria, I gave it to you, but yeah, I was referring to something else. That's him, no doubt. Absolutely. Well, I'm grateful for him. If not for that opportunity, there's yeah. no telling where I would be. Um, and those young ladies could hoop. I mean, that yeah. was a really for me where I grew up, the women's basketball wasn't as as advanced as it's becoming. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'll never forget the first day. I was, I'm was i a football player by nature. Um, I would say excessive ADD, excessively loud. I would say probably boisterous, probably trending yeah. more on that side of the spectrum. And I'll never forget, it's like 5.30 in the morning and we got a six o'clock practice and I'm yelling, screaming, doing, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, ladies, we got to finish this sprint. And one young lady started, like there was tears coming. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna get fired before I start this job. <laughs> but no, it was great, man. Those young ladies were amazing. And to this day, I'm still friends with a lot of them. And it's amazing just how the game can connect you with people and the relationships that can be forged and built. Right. How, long stop, East, how long were we at Eastern Midnight for? I was there for one season. Okay. And then where do we go after that? Well, this is where it gets interesting. So as people, you know, are, are watching this show, if I can give one piece of humble advice, and I, I, I'm careful because I don't like to offer advice to people because I haven't done enough to do that, but I will give this piece of advice. So as I mentioned, I was working full time in the mayor's office at, after I graduated and I was making, you know, I was doing pretty well. Right. And 
as that season concludes, Coach Bricky calls again. And at this point, Coach Bricky has been offered the, the head coaching job at Shaw, and he was in his second year. Mm-hmm. And he needs an assistant coach. Right. And the season ends, and, you know, we're having a pretty good run. I think we may be lost in the quarterfinals in the ODAC tournament. Okay. And he says, you know, LB, I don't know if you have interest, but, you know, I may need an assistant. And this time I got a little bit wiser. So I say, coach, look, let me specify. Is this a boy's job or a girl's <laughs> job? <laughs> and coach Bricky in his infinite way says, do you want a job or not? <laughs> yes, I just like him. <laughs> Matter of, of fact. Course, you know, I oblige, I take it. So he say, job's yours. Wow. So I go in the mayor's office. At that point, um, it's Kurt Hodgen is the city manager and Larry um, – uh, Larry Rogers was the the the, um, the city of the mayor. And I say, you know, look, I got an opportunity to coach Division II basketball, first full-time role. I think I was going to make like 25000 somewhere in there. Okay. And he was That's like – big from volunteering. It's a big jump from volunteer. Well, the, I mean, it was a pay cut from the mayor's office, but no it question. was a pay raise from volunteering. So we'll call <laughs> it the middle. <laughs> so – I go in, turn my two weeks in, and three months later, I finally get the job at Shaw. So <laughs> my humble advice to anyone that will listen is don't turn your letter of resignation in until you sign on the dotted line. And I had to learn that one the hard way. I slept in my truck for about a week and a half after my parents disowned me. So <laughs> don't turn one down until you get the next one. It's okay if you overlap pay for a week or so. Oh, that's yeah. profound. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well done is better than well said. No question. That's that law um, experience you were talking about, them contracts. And I took business law. I know. Got to make sure you get everything notarized, dated, back pay. That, that is unbelievable. The best lessons are the hard lessons. I had to learn yeah. that one the hard way. I won't forget that one. I can promise you. At least it was a male's job. At least it was a boy's basket, you know. Hey, one for two ain't bad. If you can and shoot I, three, hey. three you'd be one of the best shooters ever. <laughs> and a Hall of Fame baseball player, too. <laughs> so how was that transition for you going from now you're at Division Three non-scholarship on the women's side to Division Two scholarship on the men's side? Yeah, it was a great, you know, opportunity. I mean, coming from Southampton County, Cortland, Virginia, um, where I grew up, the CIAA was, you know, what it was it's the big yep. time. I mean, yeah. my mom went to Virginia State um, and got an undergraduate degree. Pretty much all of my family went to played or in some capacity went to school in that in that you know league. Yep, same here. Yep, certainly. So it was great. I mean, it was it was eye opening. Um, I'll never forget. You know, just a, a quick story. The very first game we played, it was an exhibition game. And I don't know how many viewers have ever went to the Shaw Gym. And I haven't been in a couple of years, so I can't speak to it now. But it probably seats um, within the fire code, probably 350 to 400. It, within it the fire, the fire code. code. Yeah. And normally we got seven or 800 in it. So I'm yep. going to say we had about 850 in it. And there's cheerleaders. There's the band. I mean, that place is rocking. Loud. Yeah. Off the chart. So. I mean, I don't remember who we were playing. It was uh, the first game, and and it was packed. I mean, crazy. And this guy went for a layup, and one of the students in the student section runs up and just blocks it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm coming from JMU and Easter Mennonite. I'm like, all right, where's security? I'm looking around. (laughs) And 850 students go nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> and lo, lo and behold, they went back and sat down, and we ended up winning the game by 20. So wow. you know, I learned from that day, man, you can do what you want to do in, in, uh, in the old sweat box. Boy, that was a lot of fun to be there. Hey, Coach Blood, who got the block on the stats? Well, that's still to be determined. Uh, they were <laughs> keeping the stats in pencil at that point. So <laughs> I might have got the block. I might have got credit for that one. <laughs> did, the, uh, did security give the guy a high five? I think he got an extra stamp on his meal plan, to be honest. <laughs> went back <laughs> in addition to the high five. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that, was, that was my first taste of it, man. It was really cool. Really yeah. Cool. Yeah. So now how I, long were we Let me intervene real uh, quick, Coach. Yep. Let me let me add real quick. Just just was to be fuddled just at, at your foundation with number one, going from football to basketball and then with the mistaken identity. Uh, with the female uh, um, job, that, that, that's tremendous. But is there anything that you experienced in football playing, um, being around, obviously, at that level, you're an, an elite player um, that has helped you uh, on the basketball court? You know, I, I think the toughness and the grit that comes with it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I even think a lot of the takeaways, you know, in football you have – people that specialize, one's the offensive coordinator, one's a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the great leaders that are in the sport of football are able to, to galvanize and mobilize mm -hmm. a lot of people with a lot of different personalities. Mm -hmm. And I will argue, um, you know, from my experience, and, and I, I'm not saying they because I'm saying we as a football player, we, uh, we are some of the wildest, crazy, uh, craziest, um, you can't win football games without a couple people that got a couple screws, loose screws. Right. <laughs> if if you back up and run as full fast as you can and just run into somebody full speed and then back up and run full speed and hit somebody again and back <laughs> up and, somebody, you know, and it's 20 degrees outside one day and it's 120 the next. Yeah. <laughs> you normally aren't wired too tight. So right. <laughs> to bring it back, like I have a lot of respect and admiration for people that can take a hundred of those kind of guys, myself included, and get mm -hmm. them to move in the right direction. And I think yeah. that's my biggest takeaways is you have to have a lot of people pulling in the same direction for any successful organization wow. to thrive. That's a great assessment. Okay. So now how long were we at Shaw for? Uh, two years. Okay. And then where do we go after Shaw? We got fired after our second year and Again, that was another very humbling experience. Um, at the conclusion of that second year, I was really, really, really fortunate. Um, there's an old adage or saying in coaching um, that is not if you're going to get fired, it's typically when. Because yep. it's a major part of this profession. And yep. you, know, you guys have been in this industry, and I'm sure you yep. have a lot of friends that have gone through that humbling process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. revolving. Yes, it's rented shares. It's rented. It's not for sale. And you're renting it and do the best you can while you're there. And the factors that are outside of your control um, dictate it. Absolutely. Well, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget the very first day that, the, that we were informed and the athletic director comes in and says, guys, you know, basically pack your, and I won't use the uh, the explicit four-letter <laughs> right. word that they use, but pack your. Uh, it's after stuff. eight. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> so we packed our stuff, and I'll never forget the first two or three days because they give you a couple months of severance pay. Right. I'm like, man, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy that part. <laughs> you work yeah. so hard, 
And you don't right. realize what's going on around you in the world because you're just so inundated with your space that you're renting, as you mentioned. Exactly. And, and you know, two months pass and all of a sudden you're getting down to that last check. Yeah. Start thinking, wait a minute, like I better find something or figure something out. Mm-hmm. Right. Lo and behold, D. Vic um, had gotten the job at Hamden, Sydney, and we had a couple mutual friends did not know him from anyone. Right. And I show up there and it changed my life. Those were the best four and a half years I spent at Hamden, Sydney, all boys school uh, in the middle of nowhere. At that point, it was about forty eight or fifty thousand dollars. That's before inflation and not adjusted for today's modern. um, Wow inflation and i'll just it was a great experience yeah. man we had a lot tremendous of brand tremendous brand um i mean that that staff and those coaches i mean that program is known uh, across the country um at an elite level as far as respect absolutely well the league the odak again i went back and i was on the boys side okay uh, place that had all boys but that league i mean virginia wesleyan was a national championship team randolph macon had a lot of success guilford college went to a national championship i mean that mm-hmm. league was rolling eastern mm-hmm. Mennonite had a great run on the boys side um so i was really really thankful for that opportunity and that experience to extend my career you know and people underestimate division three basketball and you know, at, at that level, the ODAC is a, a one of the top conferences, especially in that era when you were there. So just, you know, going into a little bit more detail, going back to the Division three level and the some of the challenges being at Hampton, Sydney, being an all-boys school, what were some challenges that you faced there? Well, first, um, you know, Scott, I think I didn't respect how good the level was. I mean, I mm-hmm. had no idea. And frankly, the teams that were good, I mean, you were beating in recruiting battle schools that were division one schools. And you also were beating some division ones and exhibitions, the good teams. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at that level, a lot of the you're at the mercy of your financial aid office oftentimes. And, you know, a lot of times you're trying to identify kids that have really, really strong academic right. backgrounds and a profile. Certainly, and, and and really high need because if you can find and those that's not a combination that traditionally mm-hmm. goes together. It's not need and really strong academically. Normally, they they don't. There's not a yeah no correlation between those two. So, you know, that was the cool thing, cool part of it. You know, you had to really be uh, deliberate and and intentional about the the student athletes that you were identifying and going after right. to recruit. Okay, and you know. With that, like that, I think that's one thing that gets overlooked on the coaching side of having to to piece together that package, Sorry. you know. And man, I can remember being at the Division three level, and yeah, you know, all the information you have Houdini. to find out about the family. Oh man, like I said, you want a unique, a combination, a profile that is so oxymoron ish that you know, and then you're like, man, have this, faster this. Income this, GPA this, economic background this. Yeah, so there is some, I guess, tremendous resource or tremendous talent you need at that level that I don't don't think gets appreciated on the coaching side. You have to be dynamic, um, elusive, and just a tremendous, relentless recruiter and knowledgeable at that level compared to the next level. You have a scholarship, bam, need or not. 
So um, that's tremendous. And also jumping back about the level, and you know, we have some of the backgrounds. Um, and I tell my high school guys now, you know, I think it's between three percent to three point nine percent of all high school athletes play Division One, Two, or Three. So right. even Division Three, they're in the top three or four percent of the world. And there's right. a small difference between the best of the division two, the one, and then the academics. So, you know, I've had that same experience when I'm on a division three game and, and watching teams, 16 kids drop stepping, shooting threes. I'm like, wow, they've done the same thing. Division two and set up LA. I mean, the point guard played at Florida State, you know, um, the four man, all American. So um, it's amazing. Young people and coach um, Boas and I are dealing in different capacities and camp and leadership. I mean, coaching high school. They have no idea. They think it's Duke, NC State, and that's it. They have no idea how hard it is to get a look at a Division three. I mean, a look. Completely. So uh, I, I can relate, completely Coach, agree. completely. I completely agree. And I think, in, you know, in addition to finding that needle in the haystack, we were fortunate. We had two African-American Eagle Scouts on, on our team. At Hamden, Sydney, and both of them end up being, you know, all conference, all American type players. And, you know, I, I would argue and, and just to follow their success off the court, one of them left and worked for Nike and has moved up the chain there. Mm -hmm. The young man has went to Brown to finish up an NBA. He's been yeah. on the globe. And I just think the balance, um, you know, having a chance to coach at D2, D3, D1, High school, um, the only level that I have not been is at the junior college level. Right. Um, you know, I, I think there's something to that, to the D3 model. I mean, you can't mm. touch in the summers. I think it allows you to have balance. Mm, right. That's good. The reality of it is the good players that we had, the Turner Kings that were all conference, all American type players, they were going to work anywhere in the summer. And I, you know, from my experience at the division one level, I just I don't necessarily think more is more. I think oh no question mistake mm -hmm. activity for achievement, and that that's that's often at the detriment of the young people, in my opinion, humble opinion. Oh, it is, and and, and to kind of jump on that as well, you you look at more does not mean better. Um, there's something called balance. I go through that in high school now. He's been off season, um, you know. So you talk about the social almost retardation and uh, mm -hmm. academic retardation that sometimes happens when you're lopsided athletically. Um, and then, like you said, in your football career, you, you remember you said there's nothing to do athletically, but you had a a, a big uh, I mean, opportunity to fill in the mayor's office. But a lot of these kids, that's it. Um, they don't get a chance to communicate with the alums. And I tell, I tell my guys, you can't cram relationships. Like, you know, you're sitting there – your four years, you're playing, you're summer, all that, everything basketball. Then after graduation, you call an alum, hey, can I do? I don't even know you. So uh, I think that's something to be said because in a long term, if it's a, a, some data a status, there's no social, economic, or professional improvement of student athletes that are lopsided um, playing a sport. In the 0.0.1, the ones going pros, but 99%, they're behind. They're catching up in life. That's a great point, coach. Uh, the, the the mayor at that point was a James Madison University graduate and the city manager as well. Kurt was a, a, a JMU grad and the team that I was on won a national championship and I quit the team the second game of the year. Wow. The most humbling thing that I've ever been a part of. I transferred from Elizabeth City 
Uh-huh. And essentially, in my senior year, if I did not, I would not have been able to do my internship. Mm. So second game of the, se- of the season, I had to make a really hard decision, one of the hardest ones I've ever made. I knew I wasn't going to be a pro in football. I knew. Mm-hmm. And a couple games had passed and a couple guys played over me. But the long and short of it is, is the mayor and the city manager, because they were JMU grads, they wanted to know what was being said in the locker room. And there was no better person at that point to be able to give them some insider tips um, <laughs> and kind of talk about some of the stories, some of the things that the coaches called us outside of children of God or disciples <laughs> of Christ. Uh, and, and frankly, I mean, I'm not, there's a lot more intelligent people than I am. There's a lot more well-versed people and probably more qualified people. But one of the things that I preach and I've always preached being in this is you have to get more out of these games than they get out of you. Because right. a lot of people make a lot of money, and and I can speak at all the levels: high school, yep. AAU, yep. school, Division yep. One, Division Two, II, Division Three. I mean, my family and I have made a quite uh, a pretty healthy living off the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I want all of everyone that I'm involved with. I want them to understand that it's incumbent upon you to get as much out of this as it gets out of you. No question. Absolutely. So, with that being said. Where do we go after Hampton Sydney? Well, <laughs> Coach Bricky's been a lot a, a major part in this story, <laughs> so I guess I may need to send him a couple dollars at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll take it. <laughs> well, uh, Coach calls and says, after my fourth year, we're going, we're in year five, is in the fall, and he calls and says, you know, I don't know if you have interest, but you know, there might be a chance for you to be a head coach in this National Basketball League of Canada. Okay. Um, so at this point, a country boy like myself, I had never left the United States. I went to the Bahamas once, but you right. know, outside of that, I had only left. Didn't have a passport. None of those things were in place. <laughs> um, so he asked me, did I want, you know, an opportunity? And I had to scramble, get an emergency passport. Yeah. He said, you can have the job, but the only caveat to the job is you have to be there the next day. Always wow. a caveat with his stories. Always. <laughs> Always. To want a man make one time. You don't know what's coming. <laughs> Certainly. So, you know, get everything squared away. Emergency deal was able to get here. And um, I got an opportunity to be a head coach in the National Basketball League of Canada. Mm. And I was was blessed to do that for one season. I think we finished with the most wins in the franchise history. Wow. But that was a really uh, unique opportunity to get my first opportunity to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. And especially to coach people that were really close to my age. I mean, that was a really unique experience. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that, that that transition from you've been an assistant coach all these years. Now, all of a sudden, we slide over into the big chair. What, what was that feeling like that first that first time you were uh, that first game where you're coaching and it's all on you? <laughs> I think it started even before the first game and I'll never forget the first huddle we had and everyone's looking at you Yeah, and, you know, and I'll never forget, you know, the question came up, what time are we practicing tomorrow? I hadn't thought of any of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a football player that's been coaching basketball. This is my, I think so four, six, this is my seventh year coaching period. Wow. And they're asking me, you know, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to guard a ball screen. Yeah. yeah. What we're going to do on offense. No question. And someone asked, you know, what are we, what, what time we need to be here tomorrow? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) know. (laughs) I'll never forget that. 
Um, and then, you know, also in this league, um, it, it was a league that the guys didn't make a ton. And we had some of the worst financial resources in the league. Mm. And I'll never forget, you know, traveling and our guys having to take all of their items. We were staying in a hotel or motel at that point. And we had Man, to take motel is the difference now. Oh, 100. They, and they did not leave the lights on for us. It was a motel. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Bodette. <laughs> no doubt. And we had to take all of our items and place them in one room when we went on road trip oh, so that we could save yeah, money. Yeah. I mean, that was just a humbling experience. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was it was a great opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think we got through it because of the relationships, not because of, you know, X and O's or tactical knowledge. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a really, really great opportunity to really, uh, you know, cut your teeth in a space where you're trying to figure it out with people. I mean, we had a kid that played for Bobby Knight. I mean, you got guys playing for Hall of Fame coaches that oh, are listening right. to this idiot that doesn't even know how to guard a ball screen. So that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and you are uh, um, charged for giving that information um, as your first one. I, my, my first um, head job, I mean, my first TV game. And you know that the media timeouts are longer than the regular yeah. ones. So my first year as a head coach had a TV game. So I wasn't used. I sit there and just give everything. And then there's nothing. Got about so my 30 guys seconds go left. out on the floor <laughs> and the ref's like, we got like a minute and a half. <laughs> I didn't have that much to say. So I'm sitting like, man, so that whole game, my guys are getting thrown out. They wait, they're sitting there, lights are going, and people saying, um, cut, here comes the commercial. And the other guys said, I, I felt so stupid. And then, <laughs> then I figured it out. I didn't have nothing to say. I had to practice before the TV games because I didn't have nothing to say that long. <laughs> Making stuff up, getting water. Hey, what you got? I've never asked my assistant coaches what they thought. TV games, what you think, coach? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what you learn just through trial and error. No, that's, the experience is the best teacher for sure. It is. <laughs> and, you know, it sounds like in that situation, you know, you being close to their age and having some commonality with them helped you get through that situation with the financial difficulties that the team was going through. And, you know, dealing with, dealing with that is never easy. Absolutely. Well, I, I can, I mean, there's a lot of stories and, and I'm hopeful that the statute of limitations, at least in <laughs> Canada has expired, but um, I'll never forget. So, I mean, speaking to the financial uh, strains or constraints that we had, it was a Friday practice and we only had nine players. So, you know, of course I'm like, all right, I'll jump in. And the guys live together in this motel, again, like the Motel 6 that they didn't keep the lights on for us. But <laughs> something happened the night before. And you, you can you kind of can sense when yeah. it's not right. And the game is like, I mean, it's not even a close game. It's like one team has 10, the other team has four that I'm on because I'm really bad. But I'm just filling in because we don't have bodies. Right. So all of a sudden, we're bringing the ball up. And just out of nowhere, one dude just punches a dude in the mouth. I'm like, whoa, like – so the first thing I'm like is, all right, fellas, practice over. I'll see y'all. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, yeah football, right. that, that was when guys got done with the season, they were cycling off their cell tech or whatever performance, enhance, whatever they did. Yeah. It seemed to be a correlation between that period and a bunch of just testosterone and fighting. So I saw right. a lot of it when I was playing football. Right. I never experienced that in basketball. I didn't know <laughs> what to say or what to do. So we canceled practice. 
But fast forward, you know, we we kind of addressed it. The guy that punched him got a fine and we worked yeah. through. So the same dude in question, we fast forward. It's like the fifth game of the year. And, you know, we're winning. We're having success. I think we're like three and one or four and oh. And, and there's a buzz because this team with no resources is having success. Yeah. So the same dude that punches the kid in the face, we're at the end of the game and he gets a technical foul. And I'm competitive like all of us. And it's the end of the game. We end up losing by one point. And in my most condescending, um, you know, I would say passive aggressive way, this same dude, because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, this dude just punched him. And it wasn't even a competitive game. Like it was mm-hmm. just out of nowhere. Yeah. And I won't call the guy the kid's name, but I'm kind of like a young man. And, and I'm kind of like, you know, well, if we don't get a technical foul, you know, we might be 6-0 right now. And I just, you know, I don't understand. We have to be able to control ourselves. And I'm trying to be mindful, like, you know, don't let your emotion get involved right. because yeah. I don't want I, – I don't know how to navigate it. So we go back and forth, and I just won't let it go, you know. Yeah. And sometimes if we just can walk away, <laughs> and next thing I know, this same person grabs a chair and throws it across the room. <laughs> <laughs> So needless to say, that conversation wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> we gave him a one-game suspension. Was the chair coming in your direction? Um, let's just say I was moving out the way not to identify. I think it was close. <laughs> it was too good of a player for that chair to hit me because I wasn't trying to, to 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 kick. I didn't want him to leave our team. I wanted to suspend him for a game. Right. Yeah. That's funny. That competitive passive aggression. That, that, that's hilarious. I, I had no idea you was up there dealing through that little WWE and WWF. I tell you that. Well, that's phenomenal. It wasn't fabricated. That was probably more <laughs> MMA and that. <laughs> <laughs> First day. So, Coach, keep it rolling, man. Where Where's next on your journey? Um, next is Orangeville Prep in okay. Canada. Um, this The – at the conclusion of that first season, our team folded for financial reasons. Okay. Not and surprised. And insurance. <laughs> <laughs> no one had any permanent life-threatening injury, so I will say that if there's a silver lining. Um, but the, they were have they were trying to have a professional team here. And they, you know, I was interviewing, and part of the interview, there was 15 young kids in the gym. And part of my interview was to work them out. And okay. Lo and behold, they had just fired their coach and they needed someone to put those kids to a workout that day. So part of my interview was to give them a break to have somebody put those mm-hmm. kids to a workout. Mm-hmm. And my wheels got turning and I, I kind of was like, what are you guys trying to do? And at that point, they explained they were trying to have a prep school because in Canada, there was no real high school basketball as we kind of knew it in the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I know you're coaching your team. Tuesdays and Fridays is common practice that there's high school basketball. Yeah. Around November 1st, most people can practice. You know, yep. November 15th, right. start. There's none of that here at this point. Uh, in fact, halfway through that last first year I was coaching the professional team, there was a, the NCAA tournament was going on and there was a hockey lockout. The NHL was locked out. And instead of showing the NCAA tournament up here, they were showing reruns of games of hockey that were no. 20 years old because it was no basketball. Right. Like wow. it, nothing Man. like that. So when they explained what their vision was and they were trying to have a prep school, then I was like, man, the heck with this pro deal. I think I can help you get a couple of Division One players because at that point they had not had any. 
Mm-hmm. And we settled on an agreement that if you could help us get one or two division one players, which in, within three years that they would hire me and give me a job as long as I could get that done within two or three years. Um, That's not bad. Sorry, that it. That's and, about timing and everything and historically being in the right place at the right time and how it's changed. Just, just the talent that has prospered through Canada now in a national level to think that period that people reruns of um, hockey games. Absolutely. Well, I am incredibly thankful to good Lord, um, you know, really ordered those steps. And three years later, I think we had 30 division one players, six NBA players after the first three years. So God is good. And I'm, I'm thankful for having an opportunity to be placed here. Well, I was, I was, I was going to ask kinda... you how long it took you to get that first division one player. We were fortunate. All 10 of the first kids ended up getting one. And I always say they had a really, really bad coach, but they were talented <laughs> enough to get those scholarships in spite of. So I tell you, I was watching the Denver Nuggets um, and that phenomenal guard, Mr. Murray. So tell me a little bit about that, about um, your interaction with him. Man, he's uh, one of the most competitive, um, hardest working um mentally tough, just wow. determined individuals. Um, he wasn't super highly touted when he got here. I mean, okay. we knew he could play. And because when he got there, give me what what age was he, what class, when did you get him? Give me a little background on that. He was uh, in the class of 2016, and okay. we got him when he was 16 years old. Okay, okay. And after the conclusion of the first year, the secret was out, and – he was confident in himself enough and his family was confident enough to stay and blaze a trail and, and, and help everyone understand that you can do it all from this soil. And, mm-hmm, you don't have mm-hmm. to and going back to my educational background, I mean, it's, it's just not a good idea for a 16 year old to leave and go to Las Vegas, Nevada. It's not right. social. It's not. Even as a 40 year old, I don't know if I need to leave my family <laughs> and stay out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Not at all. No more than a week. No question. Shoot. Three days tops. 100%. <laughs> to take those young people out there and drop them off in August and pick them up in, in May, man, that's and or April. I don't necessarily yeah. think that's the best. And, you know, Jamal was one of the first and his family was one of the first people that were confident enough in their own ability to understand that if you stay in play and that if you're good enough, that they'll come yep. find no question. And again, Coach, stay on that because he's a phenomenal player. I mean, you're you're a humble um, coach, but just to have impact to coach uh, an all-star, an NBA champion, a rising star, just kind of give me a little bit more how, how how he was in practice or just in, in work ethic and just, you know, what, what separates him. He kind of told me, but give me some examples of just some of the time you worked with him. What was that like? Well, first, you know, I'll preface it by saying as good of a player as he is, I mean, he's even an even better human being. I see that. And, um, you know, I would say in addition to all of that, um, you know, he comes from an amazing family. He has a mm. little brother. So His important. Mom and dad are amazing human beings. And I think a lot of that's lost in the translation because of his ability. Yeah. Um, and I would just say from a basketball standpoint, It doesn't matter the competition or the practice or the drill or, frankly, even if it's academics or video Mm -hmm. games. um, He has a lot of the Kobe Jordan-esque, and I know that's thrown around loosely, but he's an ultimate competitor. If you make anything competition, 
You can win. count him in, and it doesn't matter who's playing, who's in the event. He is trying to win. Yeah. It doesn't matter at what cost. Gotcha. And so when he was with you and you you see this, at, at what point did you feel like, man, you know what? This kid's got a chance. I mean, there were countless examples. I mean, you know, one story that comes to mind is he broke his finger playing with the Canadian national team in a three-on-three event. And we almost got into a fist fight because I wasn't going to let him play. And, you know, I just don't believe in that. I just – I think it's more – to their careers and even now like i'm more wired that you know to play the long game yes i'll lose every game before i I hurt someone's career yep yep that same mentioned broken finger uh, we were driving to a game and he gets it slammed in the door Mm. i'll never forget i mean you can imagine swollen finger broken and i mean needless to say it wasn't worth the fist fight and he did not play in that game but just to watch how much he gave to his teammates when he couldn't play, right. just his desire to win and how he could will our team to win, even in spite of not being on the court with his broken finger, um, you know, those memories stood out. And I would say, like, I was fortunate to coach with CIA Bounce in the heyday when they had back-to-back number ones. Andrew Wiggins was taking number one. Yes. And prior to that, Anthony Bennett was taking number one, so yeah. back-to-back. And Tyler Ennis was a part of that group. And, you know, Jamal at 15, 16, when they came back to the gym, most of the guys were trying to get autographs and, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to kind of, they were enamored by these superstars coming back. Naturally. And he was like, check it up. I'm going at y'all's throat. And he meant it. Like when he stepped off the court, he was cool. His his just burning and unwavering desire to be great, it, it just stood out to me. Well, an impressive part to me is you talked about just uh, universally, not just um, on, on that court, just in life and in the classroom. And those guys, uh, I tell young people, man, you can't be big time summertime. You'll be big time all the time. And he's a great example of that. So what's our next stop, Coach? You got a long journey, which is so impressive, man. Looking young, man. You've been around this business a while. Oh, man, I'm thankful. I don't know, shucks, man. Look, country boy like myself, it's been cool, 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 cool journey. Um, I left there and uh, I was here for three years for the first stop. And I was really getting frustrated after the third year. I mean, as I mentioned, we had 30 D1 guys, mm-hmm. six NBA players. And it came to a point where, like, I always wanted to coach college basketball at a D1 level. And I'm thinking, I mean, we had guys going to Kentucky, Oregon, yeah, Rutgers. I mean, you name talking. it, they were going everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, like, we're spending all our time developing these kids and getting in the gym with them and driving yeah. them across the country and cooking breakfast. And, you know, I was getting frustrated. And I literally was at the end of like, man, I'm going to use my degree and go back and work in the mayor's office. I mean, right. <laughs> three right. years of all that comes with this, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. There's no rhyme or reason. And I was, I mean, depressed, frustrated. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, it, I was a little bit. Yeah. And, um, I get a call. And I'll never forget this. It's April, late April. And a friend of mine calls and says, you know, I don't know if you have interest, but there's a job um, at Canisius that the coach just resigned and they're going to hire a coach. And he gave me the two names. It was going to either be Reggie Witherspoon or Pat Clark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, who cares? I mean, I interviewed at, at yeah. or I mean, all no sorts questions. of questions. Hey, we all have calls. They said we'll give you a call um, next week. And here come Monday, here come Tuesday, 
You call them, hey, this is um Coach Key. Um uh, say, is Coach Jojo in? And she says, Wait a minute, who's calling? <laughs> and, oh, he's just left the office. I'll give you a call tomorrow. Yeah, we all been there. One hundred percent. Or they they actually take your call and they call you back and say, Man, I talked to my athletic director yeah. and they want to hire a former player that has some experience. So I have been yep. to all those. I mean, I can no I'm question. Too. I mean, you can <laughs> <laughs> and you find out that the dude was hired a week beforehand when you see yeah. him on the road at the final four. And you're like, no. is he for real though? <laughs> oh, no. And what they didn't know was that we had at that point, I mean. You know, for, we've all been in the business, but the majority of the business, the collateral that business is done in in this industry is players. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when these people, you know, run us, give us the runaround. Well, I know when That's they right. were wanting to recruit our players, I I have elephant memory. I tend to not forget a whole lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the long and short of it is, is you know, I'm frustrated. It's late April and I can't get right. a job. Come back from the Final Four, and. You know, they tell me these are two people that's going to get it. And they gave me the numbers. And it's yeah. like, I'll never forget 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I'm still mad at the world. Like, whatever, yeah. I'm not getting this. Mm-hmm. So in my anger and in my my stupid, just stupid being an idiot and immature and emotional, I text Reggie Witherspoon, Pat, congratulations. I know you're down to the last two. And I'm excited to work for you. Would be really, really honored. And then I text um, Pat, I text him, Reggie, congratulations. I'm excited. I get him backwards. <laughs> and I'm like, what an idiot. So, you know, at that point, I'm frustrated. I grabbed me some Tim Hortons. That's the coffee everybody in Canada drinks. Just for Okay, people. okay. <laughs> so if Tim Hortons wants to give our, our academy a couple of dollars, this is my plug. For Tim, so. <laughs> I feel you. Hey, sponsorship. We're we going to plug it. Certainly. So. I look back at my phone because neither one of them respond. Like, and I'm thinking, all right, you know, Monday, Tuesday, they all have their staff, whatever. Right. And I see it and I say, oh my God, I screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's a, that's a great story for the end right there. (laughs) (laughs) So I text back, I'm sorry. You know, I know both of you guys are the last and I, and, Right. And then Reggie at that point sends back thumbs up. So I'm like, <laughs> no chance to get this job. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can't get a response. Thursday, Friday. So Monday, Tuesday, they announced that Reggie got a job. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not getting that one. I might as well get my resume <laughs> out and see if they'll give me my job back at the mayor's office. Everybody hates Chris. <laughs> no question. So two days later, he calls and he says, look, you know, I got the job. It's no problem. Do you guys have any players left? And the the two least likely guys that were here in my three years to get a scholarship are two one kid six nine one kid six eleven and they're not very good basketball players but they have great size mm-hmm. and long and short of it is he says well if you can bring those two dudes it's late I mean they don't have any size if you can bring those two guys we'll give you the job and right. I got my first Division one job at Canisius with Reggie Witherspoon and I I got my first I saw it broke into D one wow. That tech story is elite. Man, I'm just thankful he hired me, and I think I'm thankful that he has some grace. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Where are we going next, Coach? Keep us moving. Two years at Canisius, won a championship, and then in year three, I get a call from Darren DeVries at Drake University. Okay. Um, and <laughs> you're a world traveler. Aaron, pardon? You're a world traveler, man. You know I mean, you're looking at your geography, man. Out of small town of Virginia, all up up down the coast. You can tell that I'm not very well versed with my geography. 
um, because Darren calls and, and DeVries says, you know, look, man, you know, I've heard some things about you. Would love to have a conversation. Right. And I'm like, coach, man, I would love to come to Des Moines in my <laughs> <laughs> and and you know he just lets me keep on the conversation, you know, and and then yes. back to it later, man. I hear Des Moines is a really nice place, and and you know, eventually he hired me. And he said, "Look, Larry," he said, "Look, man, I I've enjoyed getting to know you, but it's Des Moines. That's so <laughs> Des Moines." <laughs> Um, so you know, three years there, man, it was awesome. I had a blast. We we made a tournament, won the league twice, two to three years. Um, learned a lot. I think, you know, I really am thankful for my time there from a basketball tactical standpoint. Uh, right. The game has played a lot different in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for my three years there. Yes, Des Moines was good to you, man. Oh man, Des Moines, home of the uh they have some of the absolute best um what is that called? Um oh it's like um not brisket. Brisket is really good, but it's right. another really uh fried. I'll think of it in a second. I ate way too much of it. So hey, it's like, amazing. Just all of us been there, coaches, recruiting in, in, in different places we worked in, just we equate in where we kind of recognize um, food and culture. And I can say I remember recruiting in Memphis, enjoyed this, and going down to Alabama as well and, and Texas also. So you're rolling, man. So, hey, keep it, keep the train going. What's the next, Coach? You got like 19 jobs, man. Remind me of old show Living Color back in the day. Um, you know, oh, family had 14 jobs, man. Good gracious. You still what happened, you, you overstay your welcome. They try to get rid of you. So you keep Always. going they- before they find, <laughs> find out what's what. <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn around, they're gaining on you. Oh, man, no question. Well, two years at Oklahoma State, um, you know, thankful for a Big 12 stop, was with Mike Boynton and, um, you know, was fired there. Uh, you know, it was the second year and, and it was cited for solely for recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the hard part of, of, of this profession. I have a lot of respect for Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a good dude, you know, great family man and, you know, a really good coach. Um, but frankly, I think there was a lot of other value I brought to the table outside of recruiting. Um, right. And I speak to specifics. Um, the position I was responsible for was the bigs. And we had three all-conference bigs in two years. Um, we had the fourth best defense in the country. And and I was one of the yeah. people for that. Um, but ultimately, when I took the job, he told me it was about recruiting. And, yeah. and you know, I didn't get the job done at the level that he expected. Um, and in the process, I was given an opportunity to come back to Orangeville, okay. where I started, as I mentioned, the first three years, 11 years ago, I was here for three years. Um, and I'm in a great place. I mean, I've been offered two high major jobs since that transition. And right. frankly, I turned them down. Yeah, uh, I think this is more of my speed. I can give back. I can teach the game. Yeah. Um, frankly, I was told and it was really clear my first time here, my first stop. We can lose every game as long as young people become the best version of themselves on and off the court. I'll always have a job. And isn't that, isn't that amazing how that that was the foundation of the sport? So, that yeah. was the reason why you you got a group of young people and you taught them life skills while they were occupied in fitness. That was that's why coaches at all levels were there for so long. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's about W's and L's. And we do understand W and L's, if you break up a pie chart, um, there's a small portion that um, really results from the ability to coach basketball, then getting players, having resources, having political backing, 
and having health. So you got all this pie chart where the coaching, you, you can be a lead coach in this pie chart and someone else could get players any means necessary and backing. So um, it's kind of funny you say that because that, that's what I was saying, you know, and then you talk about all the stuff going on now as far as Porter, but I'm glad you're in a place where um, you're going to be elite teacher, um, but there's acknowledgement that you're calling um, what that basketball um, is more enormous than they're going through the hoop. The late John Thompson who passed, I, I remember he said um, through talking and stories that if basketball, um, the game of basketball's objective, if it's only is to put the ball in the basket, it's a dumb game. I agree. It's very profound and rest in peace to Coach Thompson. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really believe that. And I'm thankful for all the stops being a division one athlete or student athlete from being a D one, D two, D three. And, you know, I think, you know, if I may just from my perspective share, I think it's really challenging because one of the things that I've prided myself on in my career is I use the analogy, you know, I know I used the analogy of the waves early as an assistant. That's a good one. But I also think, you know, one of the things I really prided myself on is I kind of try to find the holes that's in the boat, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the holes in the boat may be recruiting and I'm quick to run to that hole and fill it up and not ask for, for I don't want any credit or validation. Right. And in some cases it's been, you know, there's some areas that may be deficient and and from a tactical standpoint, Yeah. without seeking credit or recognition, I'm, I'm wired to go run to that hole and fill it. Yep. And going back to my football uh, days, everyone can't be the offensive coordinator to have a successful team. And John Beeline, uh, and I'm jumping around, and I kind of – I want to bring the point back, but John Beeline came to our gym. He was recruiting Ignis Brasdikas that ended up going to Michigan. And Coach Beeline said, you know, Larry and and Ignis is a lefty. And Beeline was running two guard and – he was like, I need a wing that's on the left side of my offense that when I throw it to him, he can rip it and drive it left. Mm. And we had Jamal Murray that was in the gym as well. And I was like, well, coach, man, I know you like him, but, you know, this dude's getting recruited <laughs> by Kentucky, Oregon, mm. you know, you name it. Yeah, he's not bad. He's like, Larry, let me explain this something to you. He said, you know, when I'm building a team, it's like an orchestra. And he's like, if we have all drums and all percussion, the band is not going to be, it's not going to sound great. Mm, that's real bad. Rhythm. And if we have a lot of saxophones, then it's not going to sound great. Like, but when you start sprinkling in some, you know, low bass and you start yeah. sprinkling in some woodwinds and some brass and some strings, yeah. we get a beautiful sound. That's good. And that's how I was wired to coach basketball. Yeah. If you find any good team, any successful organization, whatever there's areas that you can jump in and improve and add value, do that. Everybody no doesn't get to do the same thing. And but I've learned quickly in this basketball business, because that's what yes, it is. that's the word business. Uh-huh. Whatever your perceived value, two things. One, you better make sure people are aware of the value that you're bringing while you're there. Yeah. And that selfish is not who I am and how I'm wired. No question, naturally. But yeah, I understand it goes against your natural makeup. Me, me, Certainly. me. You got to do it. Got to be a salesman. Certainly. And two, whatever that boss wants. It doesn't matter if you feel like that's filling those holes. You better do that if you want to keep your job. And yeah. I had to learn that the hard way. So I, I'm I'm just going to step in for a second because we ran into each other on the the travel circuit trail. Uh, I w- I just got with CP3. We were in uh, Hampton, Virginia. And I think you were just 
I think you may have just gotten a job at Canisius. And you that. were you were trying to get there. I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad you up there, but it ain't, <laughs> it ain't what it's cracked up to be. Hundred percent. And I, man, I, I'm I'm happy you you had your your time up there because everybody needs to experience it. Yeah. But then, yeah. you know, once you get away from it, you really find out that you know this might not be for me. And getting back to where you are now, that's the most fulfilling place for you as a coach. Because again, the the D one spotlight is great, but it, yeah. it's it's tough. It is with it. It is. It is. I, I think the good Lord to that point. Um, I was really, I wanted to move fast, mm-hmm. and I can remember being here in the first. 11 years ago when that was the third year and there was an opportunity that someone in Canada got to go to Oregon. And I can remember thinking like, man, we got the best players. Like we have the best program. And I never will forget that because I'm 100% convinced the good Lord knows what he's doing and, and he's, his will is infinite and perfect. Mm-hmm. If I would have went from here to Oregon, I would have had no chance. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm thankful that the good Lord allowed me to go from Canisius to Drake to Oklahoma right. State and to see that because, you know, Scott, as you mentioned, as you alluded to as well, and, and you could speak from experience at that point. After you go there, like the, the fulfillment isn't the same. Right. At the end of the day, you have one job and one job only. It doesn't matter how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it I mean, because now I don't I mean, I, I'm just honest. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, you know, the University of Alabama had a coach that was involved or their staff was involved in a murder <laughs> in some capacity. Right. right. Rest in peace right. to that young person. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. And everyone on that staff got a job. Yeah. And in my opinion, you know, and there was a lot of things that I saw in my division one time and tenure. Right. If you don't do your work here, I don't care if you're Jamal Murray. He will tell you this. You don't play, period. I don't care how good yeah. you are. I don't care what right. event you're playing in. Right. Right. You can fill in the blank of any Division One institution. If it comes down to winning, 99.9% of those people are going to play that kid no matter what, and they'll figure everything else out later. And yeah, and get rewarded for it. 100%. Raises, promotions, new jobs, et cetera. But we got to yep. have you back, Coach. But coming down the home stretch, this is – we love – this is the no shade, no disrespect. Here we go. Got a couple of questions that I hope, you know, make you ponder a little bit. All your experiences, and you were blunt, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> and authentic. You know, right here, we need you to come up, whatever job may be your ultimate coaching staff. And I see right now, you don't mind keeping it 100. On this staff, I want you only one apiece, one to name your offensive coordinator, two, defensive coordinator, third, Recruiting coordinator, go get it done. And fourth, the guy of many hats, your associate head coach. And again, we're going to try to limit until the questions asked. One apiece. My man. How, how much of a budget do I have for this? Hey, <laughs> hey, this is you you've been at you've been at the highest level, so you know once yeah. you get up there, there ain't no budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A black budget, whatever Alabama football, whatever it takes. There you go. There you you go. said it to them tied. Well, you're hitting them tied hard. 
So, uh, so I have an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then associate head coach. Is that right? What was the fourth one? Recruiting coordinator. All right. So I'm taking Coach Bolich as my recruiting coordinator. Okay. I'm taking Here Coach King as my defensive coordinator. Here we oh, go, man. You got to think. You got to think harder than that, man. You got to. Yeah, I'm taking Coach Easley. Coach Easley is my <laughs> offensive coordinator. I, yeah, yes. Because uh, the motion that he runs is unreal. But now, no conception, no question. And I'm taking my father as my associate head coach. I tell you what, I, I, I tell you what, you got two of those are outstanding, but the other two question your yeah. academic question acumen. Mark. You talked about your academic career, your mayor's office, and, and, and some of your strength intellectually. I don't know about that, two for four, but yeah. Make sure uh, you got a I good buyout. That. <laughs> 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 hey, I'm confident that if I could just be in you guys' presence and your grace, we're going to attract some top-level talent. That's... I, I don't care how good of a coach you are. <laughs> and when we had Jamal Murray and Thon Maker and Eugene and those guys, Ooh, I was a yeah. whole lot better coach. Hey, <laughs> I didn't ask you this, though, Coach, on this staff. Um, is this a men's staff or women's staff? I'm making sure because. <laughs> well, the way the NIL dollars are flowing, uh, we might have to go back and reevaluate uh, the valuation of these teams. So we'll have to figure <laughs> that out based on the dollars, my almighty dollar. <laughs> Man, I, I, I appreciate you You put me on your staff. Like I said, if I'm on there as your recruiting coordinator, uh, make sure that buyout is good. <laughs> well, I will say that I wanted to verify and on the front end and just confirm that we had an unlimited budget because I know I couldn't afford okay. you guys if we didn't have that kind of bag. Oh, he's so. good. He's good. He's good. He is good. Man, we hey, we're gonna keep this keep it going here because we got we got to have a good one here. So we call it the the coach is anonymous story. So a story yeah. on the recruiting trail practices something along the ways with with your your coaching journey about anonymous coach. Uh, you can keep it as coach if you want to. You know, just leave his name out, or if we're we are past the statute of limitations, and I mean, you've been throwing throwing some stuff out there. So if you want to throw a coach's name yeah. out, feel free, but you yeah. are allowed to keep it anonymous. So, Coach Larry Blunt, give us your coach's anonymous story. Wow, um, that's a tough one. The, the best story I can think, and I'll say it came from the when I was coaching in Canada. One of the members of our staff got into um, a verbal disagreement with someone that was in a adult gathering. So I'll preface it. I'll set the stage. I mean, in this league, we're playing in Moncton, New Brunswick, and you play a game in Moncton and then you drive over to Halifax. And in Halifax, it was a really little small town and they put us in a hotel. It was one hotel that everyone stayed in. And I don't know if it was a wedding or what have you. So it's like 1230 and the party's loud, like music's going, blaring loud. So you can't sleep, long, lo and behold. So as a team, we all decide that, you know, we'll have a team bonding gathering and we'll go downstairs and participate in the party because we can't sleep. <laughs> so we might as well hang out. Yeah. And one of the members of the staff gets into a disagreement. And I, I can't confirm nor deny what any of the disagreement was in reference to, but there was a right. disagreement. And apparently the young lady that was in question that they were debating something. And it seemed like it was a very heated and passionate debate. We're going to go with Oh, yeah. 
she goes to like raise her hand. And when she does it, one of the other people that was associated or in our travel party grabs her hand. So there's no contact. You know, we're thinking no party, no foul. You can't go to the table to review it. Like it should be dead. Play. On. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. Right. So, you know, the rest of the night goes and then it, you know, we're about 30 minutes into it. Everybody's having a good time. And I'm like, okay, everything's done. The scene, everything had died down. And all of a sudden we hear whom, whom, whom. And I mean, you can hear the whums over the music. So, and the whums were multiple. So motorcycles coming from everywhere. Mm. So next thing I know, it comes people, incoming people with vest, jeans. And I didn't think they were there to just tell us how much they love basketball at this point. Oh, not at all. Sons of anarchy. No, don't know what it was. (laughs) So lo and behold, we all sitting there. Everybody's having a good time at that point. Or we were having a good time up until those points. And in comes these people that I kind of referenced that were wum, wum. And we had a young lady that was traveling on our staff that apparently had some relationships with these people or knew some kind of like hand sign or gesture or something. And those people that were going wum, 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 turned around and walked back outside and got back on their motorcycles and bum, bum and left. So the very next day we had a 12 o'clock game, you know, so I'm kind of like, man, you know, we're tired. We traveled all night, couldn't sleep. We had to stay up and just and. Engaging in this social activity. Team outing. The young lady lets us know that this was a biker gang that was coming to express their extreme discontent for the hand being raised. <laughs> and that based on she was a part of this organization and she squashed it based on her relationship. So that's about the best I can get that. Oh, that's, for, that's phenomenal. We, out, we got out. Nothing with no harm, no foul. But I thought my life was flash. My life flashed. It was. Me. Yeah. <laughs> in Canada, that's, that's outstanding and we're going to have a, a, a connection moving forward because I have one with you um, but and, and, and <laughs> I have a couple with you <laughs> uh oh yeah. Indiana you know, we, we got a few but that's the uh, we got to check I think FDA we got to check it out but yeah, if you need some more <laughs> I got a few with you brother um, and the but, FCC, uh, I hope they uh, they clear this lines. We don't want the Federal uh, Communication Commission to step in. Hey, it's not a lie. We're going to edit. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> like it. Like it. Sorry. I, I know we've had a few night out, nights out together, so, uh, you know. <laughs> hey, we're going to have a few more. So next time we do the show, we'll have some more fresh content to go through. <laughs> hey, no question. Hey, we, we look forward to seeing you. And that's why we, that's why we keep this anonymous right here. <laughs> anonymous. As long as no biker uh, biker gangs involved, we'll call it good. <laughs> <laughs> we all been there in, in a place that's out out of our area code, and that that transpires. But that's life behind the road, Coach Bowage. Yep. So, Coach Blunt, we man, we greatly appreciate you taking some time out tonight. And we know you're busy, uh, but man, we definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey, uh, at life on the road, and you know, you've had a, a great one. So, Coach Key, any final words? Yeah, again, it's echoing that, Coach. You're dynamic. You're, you're purposeful in this profession. You're good forward, and, and you have um, a non-compromising athletic integrity. I appreciate that. But in conclusion, you know, uh, we're not TLC. Uh, we're not going to beg, but um, I, I would like to like, walk a flocker to influence you to send us um, a T-shirt 
Uh, I wear large. He wears XL. And large, uh, large, we're rocking next large. time, you know, we together. You still want, you were a large because my fault still, changed still large. last week. Every episode, I'm a large. You're, okay, my <laughs> fault. I know we do have some juicing going on. But, man, I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we're going to connect. And we look forward to following you and keep doing the right thing and making this profession better. Uh, Coach Bowage, Coach Key, I appreciate you guys, the platform that you've given us all to share our stories and we can laugh, cry. And, Your uh, question. And that's about a lot of the, the journeys that we all have. I know we don't often reflect, so thank you. Um, and we definitely will do that. We'll actually, we have hats. We'll we'll get you some uh, some old prep gear as long as you're all right with the swoosh. So all right, we're hey, good. it's all good. Hey, yeah. hey right now, uh, we're free agents. Yeah, no contracts yet. <laughs> we're starting this thing, so yeah. we're open to all. Open to all. Want somebody to come and um, take us, take us away. Well, if anyone that's listening has any good players that want to play high school basketball and we'll be in a league with 14 of the best teams that are in the United States, 13 in the U.S. We're the only non-U.S. team. Okay. Alamir, okay. uh, you know, uh, Dream City. Uh, okay. Be, uh, you know, it, it's going to be legacy charter. It's going to be the okay. best league. So anyone that's listening has yes. good players. Coach Key, I know you got a son that's a hooper. Uh, we will take good care of them. They'll get more gear than they know what to do with. And if oh, they that's, don't that's have great aid, we will have some real issues. So yes. just to make sure I'll be remiss if I left this conversation without saying that. So thank that's you. That's the platform. Definitely. I'm excited. Coach, one question on that. So um, is your school um, just a traditional grade or is it a post-grade, post-grad? Or give me the details on how where your school goes as far as um, classification. We have a brick and mortar school that's grade nine through twelve. Okay, sixteen hundred students. Okay, okay. Uh, we had Ivy League kids. We actually had a young man that was directly admitted into medical school leave here last year. Okay, uh, so it's a place that if you don't do your work, you don't play. Gotcha. And then we have because the Canadian system has a grade thirteen option built in. Okay. Okay. Uh, their school system, the kids that are in grade 13 in, in Canada are the same age as the kids that are in grade 12 in the U.S. Okay. So okay. by virtue of that, we are allowed to play in the grind session circuit because those kids are in grade 13, but they're still the same age relative to AAU, relative to FIBA, relative to everything else. Okay. They give us that, op that option. So the long way of saying we can do both just depending upon the age, as long as they're okay. the same age as the same other kids, the kids. Outstanding. Yep. So, hey, you heard it from him. If you can play, he's got a place for you. And, and he's told some good ones. If you can play and do schoolwork, well, and do schoolwork, not separate from each other. Oh he, yeah, they're, they're all, all inclusive. Hey, I, I tell people all the time: everybody can play, but not everybody can play and have good grades. No question. Amen to that. And we're not going to exploit you for your athletic ability because. Most people don't know how much um, education is required to be a good player. I mean, yeah, yeah, speaking yeah. engagements, you got to understand some contract law. Um, you have to be where you're supposed to be before you're supposed to be there. So, yeah, we, we, we're not going to exploit you for all your athletic ability. And then you get to the end and, and you look back at us because we didn't prepare you. So that's my two second uh, infomercial. Hey. I know we have to go to commercial now because we got to pay. welcome. Come on up. We'll Taking off of the border, we didn't. We didn't know up here, baby. You heard it here first, cause I tell you, it sounds like you're pushing achievement in every field of human endeavor. 
Oh man, like Dr. Diggs. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. There's just no no doubt about it. Paul W. Kane. Well, have a great evening, Coach. I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. Until next time, look forward to getting some of that gear. Oh, man, we will take care of you. Text us your, our, your addresses, and we'll make sure that you tighten up. Gotcha. There we Hello go. And Excel. All right. Thank <laughs> you so much. Yep. Take care, Coach. All right. God bless. Thank you all. Yes, sir. Another outstanding episode of Life on the Road. This time we had Coach Larry Blunt on. From across the border up in Canada, and man, what an amazing journey he had from the high school volunteer into the women's assistant coaching job that he didn't know he was taking, all the way back to where he is now, and uh, loved every bit of it. And Coach Key, any final words? Well, again, just a um, life on the road journey takes a life of its own. And you talk about a gentleman who derived from the um, football field. The gridiron, a division one football player, which started, um, got a connection uh, with a basketball coach um, at James Madison and a high school coach. So just a, a great story that um, it starts in different ways, but end up doing, doing the right thing now, leading young men um, and winning basketball games, more importantly, winning lives. All right, Coach Key, take us out. I'm Alfonso Key. And I'm Scott Bowledge. And keep it on the road. And keep it between the lines. We want to thank you for your continued support of the Life on the Road podcast. Please comment on each episode and give us that five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. You can also watch all the episodes on our YouTube page and follow us on social media at Coach AKSB. Thanks again to all of our guests and listeners. This wouldn't be possible without you.